Hello and welcome, beautiful people, to this episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I am your host and producer of the Montpelier Happy Hour, Olga Peters, and I am speaking with regular contributor, Representative Emily Kornheiser, who is one of three reps from the town of Brattleboro, as well as Representative Teresa Wood, who is Zooming in from Waterbury. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Teresa. Oh, I'm really happy to be here, Olga. Thank you. Well, for folks in, especially in Wyndham County, who may not know Teresa, uh, she is the Vice Chair of the House Committee on Human Services. And in her pre-legislative life, she was also uh, the director of the Developmental Disability Services, as well as deputy commissioner of the Department of Disabilities, Aging and Independent Living. And Tropical Storm Irene, she was very involved in uh, rebuild Waterbury uh, after the storm just sort of went through the town, we'll say. Uh, so Teresa, so glad you can be here. Tell us. Um, you know, I'm always fascinated by the Human Services Committee because it seems like Olga has frozen. And so I'm just going to start talking from here. Um, okay. I was as I was listening to your bio, Teresa, I was just thinking about how extraordinary it is that like in the citizen legislature, Be we have of... a mix of folks who are ugly froze. Um, we have this mix oh, okay. of folks who are um like, you know, it's a citizen legislature, but some folks are like very, very qualified for what they're doing. And I would say, Teresa, that you are one of those people that's like very, very qualified for what you're doing. You know, the Agency of Human Services inside and out. You worked there. You were in charge there. Like, and I'm curious before we sort of get into the policy, like, what is it like to go from like inside the machine to like what we're doing now? Yeah. Um, well, I had, um, you know, a few years step away from when I was actually there to sort of feel the transition um, a bit easier. Uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to be in the legislature was, frankly, because having been in the building and testifying before the Human Services Committee, the Appropriations Committee, and those are the two main ones that I testified before. And I thought, like, you know, how cool it would be to work in this place and to try to be uh, a person on the other side of the table to ask the questions and try to set good policy for the state and try to provide leadership for the state government to help Vermonters in ways that make their lives better. And uh, so it's a it's a real honor to and and responsibility, frankly. Um, you know, I take it really seriously, as I know that all of my colleagues do. And um, but. It was it was mostly because of my experience in state government that I ended up wanting to be a legislator. I really appreciate that. That's true for me too. And I find that it's like a it's a funny thing to explain when campaigning, but I think it makes the work once we're doing it that much richer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Olga, do you Olga, want to um, when you froze up, I'm sorry, I'm not sure exactly what it is that you were about to say. <laughs> A lot of times I'm just, I don't know what I'm about to say either until the words come out of my mouth. It makes life interesting. <laughs> so I was just, I was saying how impressed I am by uh, the Human Services Committee, because to me, the the depth and breadth of the bills that you take on um, just seem much more complex than some of the other committee committees work, not to diss any other committees, 
They all take on complex work, but this is literally human services. And I'm, I'm curious what for you will be really potent for this, this upcoming legislative session that you really think will be front and center for you guys? Mm -hmm. Well, you are right, Olga. I mean, we deal with everything from um, maternal and child health and um, pregnancy services all the way through end of life and um, supportive services for people um, to uh, make decisions about how they want to die. And uh, it's the whole life spectrum. It's really the social fabric of our state. And um, with that, we get to we get to see uh, both the good and the bad, honestly, the troubled and the joyous um, that can happen. And, um, you know, in terms of what we're looking for at this session, one of the things that I um, am, am really dedicated to doing is to ensuring that each sort of major population area that our committee is responsible for gets their fair share of airtime in our committee. And um, sometimes, you know, big bills like I'm just going to throw out the child care bill can take up, um, you know, almost an entire uh, session because it's complex. Um, there's so many people that care about it. And, uh, and then things that are just as important, but maybe don't have the um, strong advocacy that uh, things like childcare have in the state right now don't necessarily get their fair share of airtime uh, at the legislature. And the issues are just as important. So um, one that comes to mind is we're gonna be taking up a whole rewrite of the Adult Protective Services Bill. And that is the bill that, um, that's the law that currently governs uh, abuse, neglect and exploitation of older Vermonters and um, Vermonters with disabilities. and that uh, that bill won't be um, you know won't be something that you know has all of the hoopla that the child care bill has, but it, it is just as critical and important to Vermonters um, in in uh, the work that that we're doing and in what people expect us to do. So um, it's trying to balance you know uh, not just hearing the loud voices but hearing all voices. Yeah, and like really bringing what I've seen your committee do in the past is like really bringing the voices of the folks who are on the front lines doing the work into the building really regularly. And I'm happy that with Zoom, that can be even easier for people. Can I ask you like a really niche question about um, protective services? I mean, sure. it's not very niche, but I um, I think when you first said it, I was thinking about sort of, you know, recent cases that I've seen in the news with, you know, older adults, I think living in the kingdom and like really just some like very clear abuse and neglect in a custodial situation. Um, I've, been, I've known quite a few members of my community down here in Wyndham County who were younger, like teens, twenties, disabled youth um, who got involved in the criminal justice system and really, um, got like bopped back and forth between disability services and corrections. And everyone said, you know, corrections said they don't know what they're doing. And so we are not an appropriate place. And the disability services folks said they're essentially too much trouble because they keep on getting involved with the law. And so we don't know what to do. And it's, um, 
it's just like a wild thing. And I wonder if that's like, is that part of the purview of that? Or is that like a whole other issue to tackle that I shouldn't have brought up because you'll you'll like do it next year? (laughs) Um, It is a whole other issue. Uh, um, It's, we actually do have a a law right now, uh, Act 248, we call it. And that's a a law that um, where the judicial system can determine that a person is likely to have committed that crime that they're charged with, but they are not competent to stand trial for that crime. And so they are adjudicated to the custody, in this case of the commissioner of uh, the Department of Disabilities, Aging and Independent Living. Um, we, are, we are more accustomed to hearing about cases where people um, use that defense uh, with a mental health disability, uh, mental illness, and being committed to the custody of the commissioner of the Department of Mental Health. Um, but we have very similar law uh, around folks with developmental and intellectual disabilities. And um, so if the court adjudicates that, uh, and if there's you know an agreement reached with the prosecutor and the defense and the judge, um, a person can... Um, can be committed to the custody of the commissioner of Dale. Um, in that case, there there is no, um, they can't be sort of bopped back and forth. Um, the folks that you're talking about are likely people who were considered to be competent to um, stand trial. Uh, and uh, maybe then were sentenced, you know, had some sort of sentence and then, you know, served that sentence and now maybe are, you know, sort of back at what they were doing before, which got them into trouble to mm-hmm. begin with. So um, it's not it's not the APS bill. Um, okay. It is a, a whole nother topic um, for another day. Cool. Thank you. And you actually I somehow never realized that like part of that same set of statute that's like you're remanded to mental like commissioner of mental health or you're. Um, commissioner of disabilities that like totally makes sense to me now thank you I appreciate that well I think that's a really great question Emily and Teresa your response really highlighted how knitted uh, so many parts of human services are to other parts of the the state government system and You know, Emily and I have talked on the show before about how do we get bills and committees to to work together because quite often it it requires pulling levers in different parts of state government. Um, for you, as uh, at this point vice chair, what how how do you kind of pull multiple levels if something goes outside your committee? Does that make sense? Uh, oh yeah, no, I totally get <laughs> oh, it. I totally get it. Um, and that that is one of the things about how difficult it was legislating from our you know home offices because uh, you really do you know in my case you know jot across the hall to the healthcare committee and talk to the people in the healthcare committee and say you know I got this issue is coming up I think it might uh, be of interest to you we should work on it together you know that kind of thing and. Certainly, um, you know, as returning legislators, I'm sure um, Emily has been doing this as well. You know, I've been meeting with other, um, you know, sort of kind of current vice chair type folks and um, trying to set out like what could be some of our um, more defined working relationships, you know, relationships that um, benefit from having some structure around them. Um, so I'm going to use the uh, healthcare committee and human services. So at one point in time, they were one committee. 
It was, mm. you know, um, like in the Senate, it's Senate Health and Welfare. We used to have House Health and Welfare. Well, um, you know, many years ago, they separated out health care and then human services. And um, but there's a lot of overlap. You know, there's a lot of situations where the things that we do impact each other. And um, the opioid crisis is one that I'll just happen to mention. So, um, you know, in in meeting with key leadership of that um, committee, you know, we've thought about how do we more formalize a um, a structure where our two committees have, you know, sort of like, you know, I I'm going to call it a SWAT team, but it's not really a SWAT team, but it's, you know, it's a, it's probably two from my committee and two from that committee. And they are um, really responsible, not just for, you know, making sure that we are involving the other committee in policy decisions around opioids, but other things that cross over our committees, like the uh, I can use the um, the health of the designated agency system as as one. So in healthcare, they deal with mental health. In my committee, we deal with substance use and um, and developmental disabilities. Um, all of those services are provided by the designated agencies, and mm -hmm. we have a real uh, need for those agencies to be healthy organizations serving our communities and. Um, so, you know, we have worked really closely on doing the best that we could to, um, to ensure that. So, um, you know, just reaching at, reaching out to those other committees, developing relationships. So there's a lot about relationship building that is really important when you're legislating. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's critical. And then you, you reach out to committees that maybe don't have anything to do with you, or you don't think that they have anything to do with you, but then you find, oh, they do, you know, like commerce, you know, who would have thought? You know, that was Emily's, one of Emily's previous committees. And I, I'm like, Commerce Committee and Child Care have had a lot to do with one another and workforce, you know, the mm -hmm. amount of time spent mm -hmm. on workforce in that committee. And that impacts everybody, you know, that impacts all of the committees, frankly, across, across um, government and, you know. Teresa, so I love so much that you're doing that. Like, I just like that formal collaboration mm. between committees. I know, you know in my few years, there's often been like one point person on each committee who's supposed to liaison with other committees, but having like a much more structured system for committees that are going to be like your regular go-tos, um, I think is really incredible. And I actually never, I never go upstairs to where your committee room is really, but like the <laughs> fact that you're across the hall from healthcare is really nice. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if someone actually did that purposely once, or if it's just like a really delightful coincidence. I have no clue. Yeah. <laughs> All I know is that human services has been in the committee room where it is for many, many years. So I, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that was a conscious decision or not, but um, yeah. So, you know, I can't really stress enough the importance of relationships in, um, in trying to do good work. And it's not just relationships with people who you think are going to agree with you. You know, it's relationships with people who, you know, probably don't agree with you. And I always, I really feel this, and this is, I think probably comes from my background, um, both in state government, but also um, as a school board chair for 12 years that I feel like we make better decisions when we have different points of view around the table and uh, points of view that are close to the decision that you, you're needing to make. And that is always important to me. Mm-hmm. Teresa, just curiosity question. Are there, how do I want to phrase this? You know, you talk about 
uh, committees that might be naturally aligned, like healthcare and um, human services. But in your work with human services, because it touches on so many other parts of state government, are there either committees or parts of state government that there's almost like the systems are clashing? Um, <laughs> does, does that? I can think of it, you know, like a, uh, you know, it's it's sort of a long-standing clash, and that's between the Agency of Human Services and the Agency of Education. And um, you know, even many years ago, when I was at the Agency of Human Services, and we were trying to work together with AOEs, particularly around transitioning uh, youth with disabilities from education, which is an entitlement system, to an adult system that is not an entitlement system. It's an eligibility and resource availability system. Um, you know, so we we worked, tried to work closely together um, and and, you know, yet I, I'm just going to be honest, we found it very difficult that the the mindset, the philosophy is very different. Um, mm. And that has plagued us, frankly, in um, the pre-K world uh, and the early childhood education world. Um, and this is, this is, you know, I wasn't there, so I, I can, I guess I'd be the Monday morning quarterbacking on this, but, you know, when the pre-K bill um, left, you know, it, they call it universal pre-K, and I'm just going to put out there, it's not universal, but they call like it- Like so universal. far from universal. It's so far from universal <laughs> that it's not even funny, but they call it UPK, universal pre-K, and it's, it's not, but that's what the name of it is. Um, and um, it- it uh, involved a dual system with a public and a private pre-K. Well, the private part of it never got a hearing in human services committee. Um, it, mm. it, it, the bill never came to human services. And if it had um, there, we could have avoided some of the mistakes that have happened and some of the, the real issues in implementation that have happened. And I, I, it's just, you know, different committees have a different mindset about things and just, you know, some, sometimes things happen and you don't realize something until it's too late, frankly. And that's kind of what happened in this case. So, you know, we're, we're going back, we have a major childcare bill coming out and, you know, we're going to try to clean up some of that, um, some of that stuff that uh, is causing um, quite a bit of angst in our communities. And, it, you know, it's funny, Teresa, when I was at the Agency of Human Services, there was a broad perception that the problems between like the education system and the human services system were because of the personalities of the commissioners. And both of those commissioners are gone now. So I'm just going to like be able to say it. Um, but like clearly not clearly. It's like they're like basic systemic issues and different understandings of the world, different ways of organizing, different ways of like very different systems of control, like down into the field, very different systems of funding. Like, you know, it is not just like a single personality, but I feel like so, because we're the tiny state, so many of those decisions get like either blamed on the personalities of say the chairs or the commissioners or whatever. And then so mm -hmm. much when like, really there are these like elemental things that transcend. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's different ways of seeing the world and yeah. different ways of seeing um, what, your part in state government, what role that has in the world is just, it's just different. On a positive side of things, you know, um, another one of the things that our committee deals with is toxins um, mm -hmm. and uh, toxic substances in the environment. And um, the Agency of Human Services, primarily with the health department, 
and the Agency of Natural Resources um, that also has responsibility in this area work very well together um, in terms of trying to do things like the um, PCB testing in schools and the uh, lead, lead water testing that, that we um, did um, a year or two ago. Um, so those are things that cross over um, and you know, there's been excellent collaboration between the public health sector and the uh, natural resources um, agency and in, in their environmental division. So um, that's an example of where things have worked really, really well. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We have just a couple minutes before we need to go from to break on WVEW. What in this segment, what, what do we want to leave listeners with? I wonder if we just want to do a teaser about the stack of policy things we might talk about after the break. Mm. Ah, well, um, give us your list, about, Teresa. I was just going to say, uh, reach up, reach up, um, uh, supports for uh, low income individuals, um, certainly childcare, um, opioid issues, and um, overdose prevention sites. Uh, maybe that'll be enough to get people to come back and tune mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Yes. Those are some well, of Representative Teresa Wood, uh, Rep. Emily Kornheiser, and I will return in a moment from a break, so don't touch your dial. Welcome back to the second half of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. If you're just joining us, I'm Olga Peters and I'm speaking with Representative Emily Kornheiser and Representative Teresa Wood. And we're talking about some of the work the House Committee on Human Services is likely to tackle in the new legislative session. Hey, Emily, you going to remind listeners of something? I am. The views and opinions expressed here on the Montpelier Happy Hour are those of the host and the guests, respectively. Not the station, nor their employers, friends, acquaintances, neighbors, puppies. Just us. Really really took that one pretty far this time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to say, uh, Teresa, I admire your willpower because for listeners, uh, before we went on air, Teresa was showing us all the baked goods she's made <laughs> for the holidays, and they're all around her on her desk. Um, so I just want to say, well done. <laughs> with, with not just diving in, I don't know that I would have the same willpower. Yeah, well, I have to tell you that the little um, the little um, rum bonbon thingies are looking like they have my name on it before we're done but or at least when we're done i should say (laughs) instead of cocktails we have rum balls this i like that i like that that's perfect that is our (laughs) cocktail of the week a rum ball (laughs) love it Mm -hmm. um so Teresa, before the break we were talking about uh some of the things that the committee might be uh, dealing with. I would um, love to stop, start with reach up, if you don't mind. That's something that Emily and I, we spoke with, was it uh, Representative Small? Mm-hmm. Emily, about reach up. Yeah. Um, 
So I'd that love would make to sense. Hear... <laughs> <laughs> I kind of love to hear like what's next for Reach Up. Okay, well, Representative Small was a uh, or is currently a colleague of mine on House Human Services, and she is very passionate about um, making reforms to the Reach Up program. And I'm sure that she's probably spoke of. We really made some dramatic reforms to the program structure last year uh, with some pretty exciting work that um, that kind of went under the radar, frankly. Um, but it, it was really well done, that- Teresa. Well done that that went under the <laughs> radar. Like we like that was like some revo- nationally revolutionary stuff that you all got through. Like yeah, bad yeah. props. <laughs> um, and, you know, I will say, I, you know, because I, I like to give credit where credit is due, that um, a woman by the name of Erin Olikin, um, who works at the Department for Children and Families, specifically on Reach Up, um, uh, she, she was, um, uh, she's a visionary when it comes to this kind of work. And uh, she's really somebody to be celebrated in terms of the kinds of things that she has done to empower um, families and to think about strengths and to think about how we um, can help families without uh, making them dependent. And um, she, she just is, she just is really good. So she, it was um, very helpful. Um, the administration was, um, you know, somewhat collaborative on this. I mean, we might've gone a little bit further than they wanted, but um, in the, in the end, um, it was really good policy work. So no, and Erin's been like going to national, like been part of national cohorts to look at like what like deeply evidence-based practices are for these things mm-hmm. and like helping yeah. Vermont participate in that for a long time. So like we were, yeah, she really like brought the right evidence to the table for you all. Yeah, she really did. And it, it really, what we did is, um, for listeners, we really moved from a regulatory framework to a strengths-based framework um, that consists of, you know, family planning and strength-based planning with a family, meeting them where they are right at this moment and helping them move forward. And um, that's not how the law was worded. The laws were, mm. were very, um, you know, uh, hard-handed and not, uh, really not strength-based at all. Um, and they had had little tweaks over the years here and there, um, but they really hadn't had an overhaul the way we did last year. So that was very positive. However, um, we still have quite a bit of work to do, mm-hmm. and that's mostly now on what I would call the financial side of things. And um, so, you know, we go through this calculation for reach up families um, who are, um, you know, they're, I just want to put it out there. I mean, these are people who have probably the least resources in the, in the state, um, people who come right. forward and they don't, a lot of them are single moms. Um, they, uh, it's, it's not a place you can't live off and reach up. I'm just putting that out there, you know, so the, I'm trying There's to like no way it. in the whole world you can live off of reach up. No, I am just trying to dispel the myth that, you know, is out there among people who say, oh, people are living off the state and, well, you know, it's, it's like you can't live off and reach up. I'm just putting that out there. Um, I don't have I don't have my other computer open in front of me. Otherwise, I would, you know, tell you what the dollar amounts are. But, um, but it's, last it's, so last I checked, it was four hundred and fifty dollars a month. And if you had rent paid for some other way and then like 
some other hundreds of dollars a month to cover rent that was in no way close to what market or even subsidies no, were. Like, no way close. Yeah. When I have yeah. folks in my community say that like the workforce shortage is because people are like living off of benefits, I'm like, do you <laughs> know how impossible that is? Like it's just, yeah. 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 I just I, a famous quote from um a Republican on the committee back when it was my first year on committee and it was um um Representative Brian Keith. Uh, he he said, um, who would choose to live off from this? You know, nobody would choose to live off from that. I mean, it's, it's just, it's insufficient. And that was mm -hmm. back before we had, you know, closing in on 10% inflation and, you know, uh, all the additional stresses on families from the pandemic and schools and, uh, you know, all of that. Anyway, so this year's focus um, uh, I know that there is a bill being submitted because I've seen a draft of it. Um, but uh, the focus that I wish to have is reducing something that we call the rateable reduction. So um, what that is, is the that we determine, you know, based upon all the information you submit, what you're eligible for. And, you know, that's, let's just say that's, you know, $400 a month. And then to live within the budget, um, we have something called the rateable reduction. And so we take that $400 and we say, yeah, we know that's what you need, but we're going to reduce it by 50%. And so now what you're going to get is $200. Um, and my goal is to trans, I don't, I don't know if we can do it all in one year, but my goal is to transition out of the rateable reduction. Um, and that would be a major step for the reach up program um, that would impact um, a lot of people um, in a very positive way. And really, I think, help us to, to make major strides into moving children and families out of poverty. And I'm, Teresa, maybe you said, said this and I didn't quite get it. I don't understand why something like that would even exist in <laughs> a funding. <laughs> Because, a, a support funding system. <laughs> because there is this thing called within resources available. You mm -hmm. know, that's we often see that in the Appropriations Act or we see that in other bills, uh, like in, in policy legislation. You'll see, you know, within resources available or we'll see the term notwithstanding. <laughs> um, I hate that word. I will never <laughs> use that word outside of the legislature. And I don't like using it inside the legislature, but it means, OK, well, we just said all of this, but maybe you're not gonna have to pay any attention to it. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's it was an eye opener for me, frankly, the first mm -hmm. time I had um, you know a session on it in our committee. To I, I was like, what? You know, what what do you do? What do we do? <laughs> you know, that it just seemed like so. I could not understand the logic of it at all, and it only has to do with resources and we need to you know frankly I think we need to start living our values and um, you know putting our resources where um, uh, where they can make the most difference and um, so anyways that's that is going to be a, a thing in reach up mm -hmm. that is something that I am uh, want to work on I don't you know I these are all things that you know haven't sort of passed the muster of you know moving by leadership yet so hopefully, the speaker isn't listening to our little show here. <laughs> I, I, if only she did, Teresa, that would be. 
I feel like I would like have it made by the end, you know, <laughs> persuasion in the podcast. Uh, so uh, another thing that I just want to mention, because it's so critical to Vermonters who are experiencing so much pain around this with their families, and that's the opi opioid um, yeah. overdose issue that we have. And we passed a bill last year that the governor vetoed that would have um, it, it wasn't creating anything. It was just asking the administration to research and come back with further information about overdose prevention sites. Mm -hmm. um, and to, you know, to look at things like liability, look at things like, you know, how could something like that operate in the state? Uh, and the governor vetoed that bill. Um, and uh, that was And that bill also included some like really important, like thinking about how maybe the hub and spoke model has changed over the last decade, right? Like it was yeah. a lot of just like, our system was actually one of the best in the country and we, it's not working anymore. So let's improve it. Like it was really like broad, deep, great bill that would have eventually saved lives. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, you know, we had testimony from the commissioner of health saying, you know, why do we need this? We have the hub and spoke system. We have no waiting list. Um, and, you know, we said, but record number of people are dying. Mm -hmm. So while they, while we have this system and it's, you know, it's, it is lauded as one of the best in the country and all of that kind of stuff. And it's certainly a component of what we need. I'm nobody saying to get rid of it. Okay. Um, but, um, there are a cohort of people who are, are not going to access that system. Um, and uh, we need, instead of expecting the people to come to us, meaning us, meaning, a, you know, a, a healthcare provider or a substance use provider, we need to meet them where they're at. And uh, an overdose prevention site, in, in my estimation, is our best chance at meeting them where they're at. And mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, I think we could have a partner in, uh, you know, our largest city um, who could who could help us figure that out. Um, but frankly, it's not needed just there. You know, it's needed. Brattleboro is here. absolutely ready. Like this was a big topic in some of our pre-session meetings with yeah. both our town government, with our major mental health provider and with our area homeless services agency. Like we are in our hospital, like we are ready down here too. And we've yeah. done a lot of research to set it up. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, even, even, even more rural places like Lamoille County, you know, um, Representative Dan Noyes has been talking with folks at Jenna's Promise, which is uh, a um, sort of a wraparound um, uh, local place that was set up as a result uh, by the parents of a young woman named Jenna after she um, died from overdose. And, um, you know, the things that we're trying to do with this is to um, impact the, the safety of the individuals the safety of the community too, you know, I, um, you know, there, it, it will help our homeless situation. Um, it will help law enforcement. Um, they won't be needing to, you know, be making as many calls if we can, you know, if we can get a, a, um, a system in place that uh, uh, takes a look at, uh, you know, I don't know if they, in some places they've talked about mobile um, units, but it, in any event, we need to work on this. And um, I'm really committed to getting something across the finish line this year um, to, uh, I, I think we're gonna go, I, in my estimation, I wanna go further than investigating. I want us to um, set up 
um, you know, one or two overdose prevention sites in the state as a result of legislation that we passed this year is what I what I am really, that's my aim, that's my I'm goal. I'm so happy to hear that, Teresa. Mm -hmm. And I think one other like unintended consequence or like consequence that maybe people don't think about in terms of where this would improve communities is um, our human services staff, like at, you know, both at our mental health designated agencies, but at all of our service providers, you know, at your youth services agency, our school, um, we know that we have a huge workforce shortage there. We know that they're not, you know, making as much as they deserve, but also I'm hearing more and more stories about just like the number of deaths that folks have witnessed in the last few months, in the last year, and just like the toll that takes on that agency's ability to grieve and process and deal with that trauma and like show back up at work. Yeah. Um, and so people are leaving the field because they feel powerless in the field. Yeah, I think like everything that's happening. I, I, it's far reaching. I mean, you know, it's not, it obviously doesn't just impact the individual. It impacts their family. It impacts the people that those folks interact with. It's, it's, it's a, it's a lot. And, um, you know, I don't think um, the numbers are not going in the right direction. And so I, I really think the health commissioner will be hard pressed to say we're doing everything that we can. And um, that's enough. I don't think that, I don't think that he will be able to say that this year. Um, and it's certainly, um, not what we want to hear, frankly, <laughs> you know, I'm just putting that out there. Um, and I will tell you that, um, three years ago, you wouldn't be hearing me say this. I'm, I'm, you know, kind of what you call, you know, one of the, uh, more moderate Democrats in our caucus. And it is, uh, it is not something that, you know, I'm just like, what, what are you talking about? Um, and, uh, I, I can tell you that um, we need to do more to prevent the harm that uh, these substances are causing in our communities. And I think that this has far reaching implications um, to help people and to reduce the harm that is happening in our communities. It can, I was at an, uh, an EMT um, sort of mini summit that Representative Catherine Sims put together and um, you know, it was one of it was one one of the top issues that they brought up is the responding to overdose calls and that they um, the trauma it's causing for our first responders. You mm -hmm. know, to bring people back from the brinks of of death um, and only to do it over and over again. And um, it, it it's it's really really stressful and difficult on them. And it's one of the things that um, they don't get paid to do. It's one of the things that. Um, causes them stress and they're they're afraid that the next time they go it's going to be too late you know it's um so uh it can it can improve um the stress on our first responders in those situations and um i think i think we could get support from it from that group of individuals as well so mm -hmm. i i think it's it's time and we have some other places in the united states in in new york there's a lawsuit in pennsylvania that we're you know, waiting with beta breath to see, uh, looks like it's, uh, could, could fall in the direction that we need it to. Um, of course in, in Canada, they, they do have, um, some of these sites and, um, 
you know, it's it's time for us to take a look at that. Vermont's population, um, you know, we, we talk about being a small state and sometimes in a small state you can do things that you, you can't necessarily do in a larger state. And I think this is kind of one of those things that um, we, we really could do and we could do it well and we could save lives with it. Mm -hmm. I feel very heartened to hear you say that, Teresa. Thank you. Yeah. Well, because I think the other thing, Teresa, you you touched on about being a small state is a lot more things are personal. Mm -hmm. You know, things don't happen to someone else. They happen to your neighbor or your cousin or um, your sibling yeah. or yeah. yeah, your friend's friend or, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think we all know somebody who has been touched by the, um, you know, uh, substance use issues um, in the, in the state and, or, you know, in other parts of the country, you might have family or friends living in other parts of the country impacted, but, um, anyway, so that, that is, um, you know, really one of the things that are on the top of my list this year. And then, you know, Teresa and I talked pretty endlessly about family medical leave insurance and childcare and sort of those twinned issues, um, and what it means to, make sure that Vermonters have the opportunity to care for each other, essentially. <laughs> like it's not, it's not so complicated. Um, I feel like that's a whole show though, that maybe we should say mm. for a week or two once the session starts. Cause it does, but I, I, ha I have just a little anecdote, just a little short Please. story from, so last night, you know, let's grow kids going around the state and they have these forums and they, I don't even know what last one's last night's one was called, but they're doing, you know, they're doing them all over the place. And um, so I uh, was there with, there were four representatives there actually, Representative Tom Stevens and I um, were both from Waterbury, Representative Dan Noyes um, from Wilcott, and then a new representative, incoming um, representative from Stowe, uh, Jed Lipsky. And um, so the focus was on childcare, um, but, you know, we had an opportunity to um, say, you know, okay, if you're dreaming, what are you dreaming about? And so I was dreaming about a, uh, a state where, um, just as Emily said, where, where we're able to take care of ourselves and we don't have to forfeit our jobs to do that. And um, so I brought up paid family and medical leave. And I said, you're going to hear people, and you're hearing them already saying, we can't afford to do both paid family medical leave and childcare. And um, I'm here to tell you that we can't afford not to do both. And um, so I went through all the reasons and I did my, you know, my, you know, I guess it was heartfelt and impassioned enough. And, and Jed Lipsky, who is an independent, quote, unquote. Um, he sways are, we'll say. He sways, he sways <laughs> are, yeah. Um, There's a lot of independence in Vermont. <laughs> yeah, I ran as an independent the first time. Um, so, um, uh, you know, he looked over and he said, you know, I came in here and he said, Dan and I actually had this conversation on the way down here from uh, Stowe. You know, we're like, I don't think we can do both. And it's like, and I am solidly behind childcare. I don't think we can do family leave. And he's, and he just, he looked over at me and he said, uh, I am on your train now. We are, we're doing, <laughs> we're, we need to do both. <laughs> I'm like, okay, good. I'm glad, mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear it. So, um, so I, you know, I think, um, yeah, I've heard recently, uh, and I hadn't really thought about it, you know, in this way, but again, last night this came up, you know, thinking from a, um, a place of scarcity and always thinking about sort of, you know, worst case scenarios and why we can't do something. And instead of sort of like leading with our values and saying, you know, these are the things that we need to do to support families. 
you know, you talk about workforce in Vermont, you know, in my, I, I represent two school districts. Each of those school districts has seen a reduction of over a thousand students each mm-hmm. in the last 10 years. Okay. That's because people, one, can't afford to have children if they want to have children, they, or they can't afford more than one if they, you know, I've talked to families who said, well, I really would like to have another one, but I don't want there to be five or six years in between them, and I can't afford to have two in childcare at the same time, um, you know, so uh, if, if we have a, no other state, okay, there are other states who have paid family and medical leave. Um, there are other states who have a, a you know, childcare assistance. No state has the combination that we are really talking about here. No other state has that. And Vermont is going to be the state that leads the way and is a state where families are going to want to move to in order to raise their children and have their families and stay here. Um, and care and for their aging good. parents and like that's care right. for each other, right? Like we can. Yeah, yeah it's not just about young that. families, right? The pay family medical leave is about. Um, you know, people across the age spectrum, you know, caring for a spouse or a family member who has cancer or, you know, feeling like you can take off, you know, work because you're exhausted um, for taking care of a family member or you have that illness yourself and you're not covered by any other sick leave or anything else. Um, You know, so anyway, um, yes, you're right, Emily, that that could be, that's definitely a whole other sort of complete show. (laughs) And I think that's what's, you know, I just think it's extraordinary to really get our heads around the fact that like, it's practically impossible for so many people to care for themselves and their neighbors right now with the way the economy is structured. And that like, we could make it possible if we just like do the work to get it done. Right. Like Mm -hmm. just. It's it's so funny because there was a business owner in the meeting last night and, you know, He's a more forward thinking liberal business owner. I I will grant you that he, he owns, you know, um, a place in Middlesex there where camp meat is, you know, the, where Red Hen Bakery is and stuff. And so, um, he, he, he said, you know, there's money in Vermont. We just need to tap into it. And, um, Mm. I couldn't agree with him more about that. There is a lot of money in Vermont. (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, I think that we need to do the things that we can do in order to support, to support families. Um, and, you know, let's be the best state in the, in the country um, to do that. I don't have you any know, problem. I think we're running out of time and I just yes. want to like add another sort of thread for next time, Teresa. Um, and maybe we can do this regularly because this is like my favorite stuff to talk about. And I know it's some of your favorite <laughs> stuff to talk about, um, but you know, I know you've been a huge, powerful champion on the issue of Medicaid reimbursement rates um, mm. and why, like what that's needed for quality of care and for providers. And just like you have like stuck to your guns about that in a way that I super respect. Um, and I think we did some like really good work with the designated agencies in sort of that universe this last year. But I've just been so like thinking so much about how low wages are in my county, at least, um, and how much, how difficult that makes life for people, right? And how so many of those wages are like directly related to state grants and contracts related to human services, right? Like Mm, the underfunding of our human services contracts through Medicaid reimbursements and through other kinds of grants and contracts is why wages are low in Wyndham County for the most part. Like it's really... 
Um, there's also the tourist economy, but it's really like yeah, I was going to add, yeah, are like the big levers around where people work around here, and how much us doing something about this like really core issue around like that the state has so much control over would like not just improve the provision of human services, but would prov- like really transform the quality of life of the people who are working in those systems too. And yeah. their neighbors and the shops that they buy stuff from and like all of it, just like transform our economy. So let's talk about that next time if we can. All yes. right. <laughs> well, Representative Teresa Wood, uh, thank you for joining us from Waterbury today. Uh, if people want to learn more about the work of the Human Services Committee, where on the legislative website can they find that? Um, if you go right to the um, legislative website and you'll see a little tab that says committees. And, um, you know, if you just hit that, you can just scroll down to human services. That brings you right to the committee webpage or any other committee that you're interested in is there as well. So um, and our agendas are posted there. We will be live streaming this year as we have been for the last two years. And so um, we are more accessible than ever to Vermonters who want to listen in and see what we're doing and um, participate in that way. And so, um, yeah, that's where you can find our work. Thank you. Emily, if people want to find out more about you, what do they do? Folks can go to emilykornheiser.org to go to my website and find all my contact information. Or you can go to the legislative website and do the same thing that Teresa described, but go looking for the Ways and Means Committee. And I'm realizing that I should put a link to the Ways and Means legislative website on my own Emily Kornheiser website. So I will attempt to do that sometime in the next three months. Fantastic <laughs> <laughs> so deadlines for myself here, everyone. <laughs> Thank you, Olga. Thank you, Teresa. I'm so glad we could do this today. Yes. Great. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. We'll see you next week. <laughs>